right, church, let's pray together. You can sit as we do that. I just want to start with, I guess, a little bit of silence together. However you show up in this place, things on your mind, anxieties around the corner, just take this moment to settle our hearts. Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." Or as Eugene Peterson translated, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. God, we want to see what you're doing. We need to see it. When we see what you're doing, it pulls us forward. It gives us the ability to have one more step, one more conversation, And we're asking this morning that you would bind us together a little bit more as a community around what you're up to, that you would give us the ability to see a little bit further ahead collectively, that you would show me and that you would show each of us personally how we contribute to that how we partner with that, how we can encourage each other. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Morning. morning. First, an apology. We're just going to start with an apology. Uh, This conversation we're going to have today is like too long in the the making. Um, As I've been reflecting on the last number of years of my life and primarily my being your pastor, um, there's been obviously a lot of things that have happened. And uh, in that time, there's been a lot of managing change and managing you know, how we gather, where we gather, if we gather, all the fun stuff. And there hasn't been a great time to just really take one day and talk about who we are and where we're going. But that's today. So we're going to start off with a a date on the calendar, January 18th, 1986. Anybody have an idea what happened? Well, no, no, no Broncos, no sports. It's not a sports reference. January 18th, 1986, I was a fifth grader. I was sitting in my fourth period class. And they wheeled in a TV for us to watch the Space Shuttle Challenger take off. Now, if you're new to America, um, what that was was a huge buildup for all the kids across the country because they ran a poetry contest for teachers. And the winner of this contest got to go to space on the space shuttle. 
NASA was doing a deal where they were trying to get people more interested in the space program. And so they decided, you know, what better than to get kids interested? And what better to get kids interested is to put a teacher in space. So they changed the whole thing around a school day so that all of us could watch the space shuttle go into space. Well, if you're new to history, it was kind of a rough morning because the space shuttle blew up. And we were in fifth grade, and it was like, what just happened? Like, we watched it happen. Now, the reason why I say that is because, yes, it was dark, there's a whole Netflix documentary, the whole thing, but how we dealt with the trauma of watching the space shuttle blow up is we had space shuttle challenger jokes. I'm not gonna share them with you, but, it, but in reflecting on that day, it's like, how does a whole generation of school kids get through that trauma? Because our teachers didn't walk us through it. They weren't like, all right, what are you feeling? Where, where do you feel it in your body? You know, they, they weren't doing any of that work with us. They just said, okay, take out your math books. Okay? So for a couple of years, we had space shuttle, shuttle challenger jokes. That was the thing. And um, things <laughs> tend to be things for a little while, right? Like you don't hear people like at a Christmas party going, hey, I got a good one. It's a NASA joke. You know, no one does that anymore. It's like out of the realm of the fad, right? But fads are real. Fads happen. We, I find myself often saying things to either my kids or especially you front rowers, that was a thing. I would say things like, yeah, that was a thing one time, right? Like the phrase, word to your mother. That was a thing. I never, I don't think I ever used it, but it was a thing, okay? It was a fad. Things that were once popular, fad diets, uh, fad songs, fad clothing, fad toys, fad phrases, things that were once popular, but they were short-lived because they didn't have any lasting value, right? Now, there's a sense in which that there are things that we do as a church that have kind of eternal lasting value to them. And then there are things and I think this happens in big churches and small churches. Churches of all shapes, sizes, and locations, we can be very vulnerable to fads because the church is made up of people. We're just people. And we're all being formed one way or the other, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you and I are being formed. And a lot of us have been formed into this very individualistic, consumeristic way of life that we use something for a time and then we move on from it. And churches are not immune to this. People who gather and worship God are not immune to this. So today we're talking about what it looks like 
to be us. Who we are and where we're going and where we're headed. And I think it's critical to repeat and to refocus who we are and where we go and where we're going and what we're about because we have a fad mentality. And we don't want to stumble all over ourselves. We want to continue to look for the things that God is up to and that that will pull us forward, that will push us forward. So I want to give a good assessment on where we are and where we're going, but I want to do that in kind of two movements. The first one is this. I want to root us in the big picture, what we're doing here, and then I want to name where we're at in the story. Okay? So we're going to be in Colossians, and Elena read uh, kind of a previous passage for where we're going today. But here's the context. Paul is in prison, and he's describing what he's doing by writing this letter. And he says earlier uh, than the passage we're going to look at here that he's making known the mystery. There's this mystery that Paul is um, opening up and, and, and making known to the world. And he's He's there to carry on the teaching of that mystery. And here's the mystery. The mystery that that Paul writes in the letter. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's just a, that's a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is a mystery that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw this coming. Jewish people, uh, Gentile people, Uh, The great mystery of God, that God would take on flesh and blood and take up residence inside of his creation, is insane. And it's this idea of making you and I the temple of the living God. And this is Old Testament language, this idea of temple uh, theology, that God himself, the living God, would um, not only spoke things into existence, but continues to speak things into existence. And he keeps doing it. And he takes up residence in you and I, like in the temple, all throughout the Old Testament. And the glory of God, which is something that the people were always afraid of and they were always hiding from, now lives in us. That's the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And here's our text for today that we're going to just really kind of focus in on. It goes like this. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So, there are three assumptions in this text that I want to unpack a little bit for us this morning. The first one is in this text is that this text assumes a purpose, a destination, a telos. For us. And that is this line, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's where we're headed. That's where this church is headed. 
Um, that there's a goal for every time we gather. There's a goal for every time we gather as children, as students, as um, as a Sunday morning, as if we're gathering on a Wednesday or we're, or we're gathering in house churches or whatever we're doing, one-on-one, coffee together, we are going somewhere. Our goal is to become fully mature. That we would be fully formed, that Christ would be fully formed in us. Uh, Paul uses this in another language, in, in another letter, to say, carry on to completion. Like there's something, something ahead of us that's more complete and more fully formed than we are right now. That following the way of Jesus would become, in a sense, over time, more natural to us. Okay? And it takes over our nature. It becomes kind of like second nature to us. It's just the way we live. It's a default. Just flows out of our life naturally. That opening up our tables would just become more natural. That uh, being generous with our things, that forgiveness, that that uh, compassion towards people, it would just become more natural, just become more of a way of life. Illustration about this is um, a number of years ago, teaching our kids how to drive. And um, Angela and I had very different strategies on teaching our kids how to drive. Mine was, do this, don't do this. Which is probably how many of you grew up in church. (laughs) Do this, don't do this. Angela was a way better driving rabbi (laughs) than I was because she would talk about scenarios with our kids. Be like, why are you doing this? Why would you want to let somebody know that you're about to get over into their lane? You know? Um, which is still something I'm working on. I don't want people to know <laughs> all the time. Um, my uncle taught me once, um, California. Yeah. Deal with it. We're here now. Uh, he taught me once, if you want to go right, look left, go right. Because people can see from behind. Anyhow, that wasn't in the notes. But Angela's whole philosophy was like, you need to think about what other drivers are thinking and then make an act on that decision. So think back for some of you who are licensed drivers. At some point, driving just becomes natural, right? Some of you get in the car and you head to work and you don't even think about what you're doing. You just, all of a sudden you show up there and you're like, I don't even remember. Driving just becomes fully formed in you over time. It just becomes like muscle memory. It just becomes part of what you do. And most of the time, I have really good driving moments. You know, it's just intuitive. It's in me. I get to the destination I want to go to, and I have, I have nothing on my driving record, just so you know. What? Even with your turn left even, my, even that. Wow. Doesn't mean I'm a great driver. I'm just saying. 
So the telos is this destination in front of us, and I want to just remind you that this destination in front of us is not new. It's to continue to recognize and participate in the kingdom of God and to be a people that live inviting and distinct lives of discipleship. Continue to recognize and participate in the kingdom of God and to be a people that live inviting and distinct lives of discipleship and that this would become natural, just become who we are. Our money and our rest and our work and our sexuality and our posture toward those on the margins are all formed out of this. And let me just, let me just say this. It's, has anybody made it there? Anybody feel like they've totally nailed these? Yeah, I hope not. No one has made it. No one has arrived. Paul even says he has not made it. Some of us are closer than others on different things, but there's no trophies. There's no pats on the back. I don't drive around in my car and go, man, I'm good at this. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, I'm better than that person. But the reality is, is there, there's, there, this isn't like a self-serving motivation. Like, look how generous I am. Look how, look how calm and peaceful. You know, I remember someone telling me once, like, I'm, I'm so meek. Like, I, I, and here's the thing, like, that's why we're a community. That's why we do this together. But we are complex. Uh, we're kind of messy. Um, any church is complex. I mean, I could go down a rabbit hole of your expectations, our backgrounds, our baggage, our first impressions when we meet each other, our personalities and our assumptions. All that stuff plays a part. But to become like Jesus is to become fully formed in his image. And all of us are here because we have tasted that. that. That that's a gift that we're actually beginning to continue to unpack in us. And so the text assumes a purpose, a destination, but it also, um, and that's fully mature. But next, this text also assumes a process. It's a, there's a process to this. This isn't a matrix download thing. It assumes that you and I are not there yet. We're on the way. Jesus said, follow me on the way. And his, that's a beautiful word, hodas, which is just basically the road. And we're not there yet. We have things to do. There are gaps in our lives. There are things that need to be done to me and for me and with me and in me to move me along towards maturity in Christ. And so there are things that help us in the process. I'm going to just list four kind of quickly here. Part of the process to becoming fully mature is to be root, a rooted community. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is, is to take very seriously Scripture. That's why Paul mentions to admonish and teach. 
that we're rooted in Scripture. We believe that Scripture tells a unified story that leads to Jesus. We'll get into more of that in the weeks to come. That Scripture functions as like an alternative story to the story and all the little narratives around us in our lives. And, and this alternative story invites us to live in alignment with the real, true story of God's world. And just to root ourselves in that together. Yes, it's messy, there's tension, there's things we don't understand, but to trust. The second part of the process that's important is to be a practicing community. You guys have heard this word come out of my mouth a lot. Practice. You practice driving, it becomes fully formed in you. Practices are the way we get the truth of who we are into our bodies, into our muscle memory, into our lives. See, traditional Christian practices um, are prayer, fasting, meditation, Sabbath, giving, to name a few. I found that in a city like Denver that has so much busyness to it, so many options, so much, there's just a, there's just a way to Denver. When I talk to people who move here from different parts of the country, they're like, man, Denver, I'm still trying to figure Denver out. It's hyper-individualistic, hype, like, like solo sports is our thing. Breweries are, for some reason, are really our thing. There's just a way to Denver. And I find like in a city like Denver that we're seeing in a lot of other big cities in our country, there are Jesus gatherings, Jesus movements, churches that are leaning more into practices like prayer, meditation, Sabbath. These are some practices that I've kind of started to pick up more in my life. This last year has been just a, a huge uh, learning for me on some deeper practices. But we need to be part of a community together that practices together, tries things together, makes new rhythms in our lives together. Third way we can do this process is to be part of the process of, of, of becoming fully mature is to be in, in a connected community. You cannot do this by yourself. You cannot follow Jesus alone. We're hardwired for relationship. We're hardwired to be in relationship together and to grow to be more like Jesus. We need relational connection. We need to find, intentionally find that way to do it. And I know it's hard. People are sometimes hurtful and there's first impressions and there's weird vibes and there's all that stuff. But Jesus saves us into community. And the fourth one, and then the most important, is all of the process is guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't totally control our own formation. The Holy Spirit seems to conspire with what's already happening in our lives to bring about growth. Like I said last week, I don't sit around going, man, this is so fun how God is growing me right now. It feels good. Most of the time, it's just like, I don't get this, what's happening right now. But we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, as it says in John 16, 13. 
The Spirit makes us one with God as we engage the spiritual practices and as we engage Scripture. The, the Spirit works in us at the, at the core of how we change and become like Jesus. That's, that's the bottom line. Robert Mulholland, who I've quoted a number of times, says this, the Christian life in its fullness is far more than being active in a Christian community affirming a certain set of beliefs or adopting a particular behavior pattern. These are secondary results of the primary reality of a life engaged in an ever-deepening union with God, with God in love. And for me, some of my church experience growing up would have had that the other way around. And the final thing, first one was purpose, assumes a purpose, Second one was it assumes a process, that it's just not an overnight thing. But the, the third assumption is this, it's a struggle. Welcome to the struggle, right? Paul says this is the goal, and he says, I strenuously contend for it. Strenuously contend. He's like, I've used up all my energy, and I need Christ to carry me. He's like, He's like, this is all the effort's going towards. And the reality is you and I must contend. The destination and the process bring with it contention. And it's not going to be easy. The struggle is this idea of counterformation. Now, we've talked about this before. You and I are all being formed the counterformation is like has to be intentional because it's pushing back towards that formation. There will always be pushback. There will always be struggle and contention. First one, it may be external to you. Okay? There may be some external contention going on in your life that the way of the world just pushes, it just seems to push at you. And you're feeling that. Maybe you have some family and some relationships that it just feels like there's contention. But for many of us, and for all of us, it's internal. That internal contention. Could be some past trauma in your life. That is keeping you from really experiencing how much God loves you and wants to do a purpose in you. It could be family of origin stuff. Nobody's family is perfect. You arrive in the seat you're sitting in with history, with a way of living and a way of meaning in your life based on growing up. False stories we tell about ourselves. You and I have little narrative scripts inside of us that tell us certain things about ourselves. Maybe they're overinflated. Maybe they're really condescending and cynical. Jonathan Pennington writes this. He says, The flourishing and meaningful life does not happen accidentally. It must be sought after. And the means of pursuit in this life of discipleship to a philosophy, a way of seeing and being in the world that is pursued and practiced, First, become aware of yourself. 
Then turn away from foolish and non-life-giving habits and thoughts. In biblical language, repent. And then over time, learn new ways of living through failures and successes in practice. So there will be a struggle, there will be contending, but it is worth it. Let me just list off a couple things here. Rebuilding a commitment to others when you have been hurt will take contending. Involving yourself in the needs of the city when it seems hopeless will take contending. Digging into your past to figure out why you are who you are will take contending. Opening your table in hospitality for people when it's easier to just do takeout and Netflix, that takes contending. This text assumes a purpose, a telos, a direction. It assumes a process and it assumes a struggle. So maybe we just drop a pin for us as a community where we are. Okay? Three years ago, the old normal, Arvada Center, some of you were with us then. Um, my, uh, I can just be honest with you, my, even though I didn't make it very verbal, my, I think my main goal was people coming. People showing up on a Sunday morning. And you can have a conversation with Angela if you'd like about the weird places my stupid head would go before and after Sundays. Um, we were mostly focused on Sunday operations as a church. We had a roadie crew. We just hard work, set up, tear down, put it in the box, go home, and I would just sit there and think. How do you get more people to come? I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you. Two years ago, house church. We were in the middle of this COVID season. We were not meeting at the Arvada Center, um, nor would they let us. Um, we decided, how are we going to stay connected? We worked really hard to stay connected, meeting needs for each other, and being connected in community. There was some beautiful stuff there. There was some renewal stuff there, but there was also some people fell out of connection. One year ago, we purchased a home. You're sitting in it. Um, I don't feel in the need to rehash all the pros and cons of the purchase of this building, but let's just say I believe there are way more pros. But this is a new chapter. Last year, we jumped into the building, and um, there were so many needs. We didn't know how to do things. We're running around. I'm shoveling snow and doing all this stuff and kind of getting fried and um, then we had the, I, I went on sabbatical. There was this new focus this fall. We started talking about what it looked like to be a, a community of tov, of goodness, of things functioning how they were intended. And that just kind of leads us to this moment. Restoration Covenant Church is now more being intentionally built around practicing the way of Jesus, not just attending. And since 2018, we've been talking about these things. We've concluded that practicing the life and teachings of Jesus together in community is really what it's all about. But we still had this like, problem with me. <laughs> 
And we just really do believe this, though, that being an apprentice of Jesus is to order our lives around these three goals. Be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And that that's where we're headed. And our crazy, here's the crazy dream. The, uh, the crazy dream is this, that if we actually take this seriously and live this way, not perfectly, but with some intentionality, with some struggle, if we begin to or continue to architect our lives and our church around this, we're going to see things change. We're going to see things change in us and in each other. We're going to see things change in our families, in our difficult family relationships. We're going to see things change in our city. Because, guys, I don't believe that the church is just another weird subculture, although most of the time it is. I think it's the remaking of a new humanity. I think it's like being restored, and that word restoration means to be returned to your former owner, place, or condition. And the church is not meant to be in an adversarial relationship with people who don't follow Jesus. It's not a brand or an event. It doesn't have like professionals up here and consumers out here. It's not a building. It's not meant to be a weekend activity. The church is a people. And some of the language we've been playing around with in the last few years, we are called to be a creative minority. Or as the prophets call it, a remnant. And because of that belief, we strive to live out the gospel. This incredible news of Jesus in our city throughout the week. And then gather together each Sunday to be encouraged. To wrestle. To reorder our loves and our longings. And I just want to close with this passage out of Mark 8. This is Jesus' vision. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, my, my apprentice, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's a destination ahead of us. A.J. Swoboda writes this. He says, authentic Christianity is found precisely by that person who throws all caution to the wind. And chooses to borrow the life, death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus in their entirety as a pattern and model for their own life. That's the invitation. There's a lot of hows to that. I don't have them all. We're going to sort those hows out as we go. But the why is here. And the invitation for you and I, is to partner together in this life of apprenticeship to Jesus. To partner together. To see the purpose ahead for each other. To engage each other in the process of getting there. And to struggle together.
contend together. I'm going to pray. God, this morning, I just want to take a little bit of an extra moment to to let us reflect on these three things. Your purpose, the process, and the struggle. Yeah, for some of us in this room, the, the idea that you actually have a purpose for us is foreign. Not completely. I mean, we were told maybe early on in life that... Um, that if you accept Jesus into your heart, you'll go to heaven when you die. But that leaves out a whole lot about what about now? That leaves out a whole lot about what do you want me to do here? What am I a part of now? And the reality is, is you are forming us, you are drawing us into this beautiful picture of, of this completeness that you have for each one of us. That yes, our stories are different, our personalities are different, our DNA is different. Our economics, all the things we have, we come to this place are different and yet you want us to be complete. You want us to be fully mature. You want us to be a thriving, fully flourishing human being. And so God, for some in this room, that's where the prayer is today. God, what is my purpose? For some of us in the room, Lord, it's what's the process? What, what, what am I not allowing your spirit to do in me? What am I withholding from the game? What am I holding back? Am I holding back my involvement with people in their lives? Am I holding back... Um, my time in the sense of orienting my, my life around a, a certain rhythm that brings me life, that brings you the ability to speak into me? What part of the process do I need to play? And finally, the struggle. God, I know in this room there is so much struggle. There's external struggle. There's life that has just come at us. Loss and addiction and disappointment, discouragement, and maybe some sort of a medical diagnosis. Maybe there's just so much life that's just, we're stuck in, we're struggling. And God, for some of us in this room, it's just, Things we can't shake on the inside. We can't shake how we think people see us. We can't shake criticizing ourselves. How could you love us? I don't even love me. We can't shake. We can't process. We can't understand all the ways that we've grown up and how we were formed. How having one parent or how having a divorced family or how having 
expectations on us has actually shaped us. God, show us those places that we struggle. Help us bring people around us that can help us in those struggles together. We do not have the strength, as Paul said. We struggle with the power of Christ. So God, this morning, wherever we are, meet us in that place. Take us forward as a community. We pray these things in your name. Amen.